0: We, as in me and my community online, have seen tremendous results by just literally going against the norm of the beauty industry. It shows, it shows. Modern mothers may be old fashioned on the inside, but they want to be the picture of glamor and style on the outside. And so I, I think that was very telling of how the entire beauty industry is built on capitalism and consumerism literally trying to make you feel inadequate in order to sell more products by showing flawless pictures on the advertising and showing that there's only one way to achieve healthy skin, which is to apply more products than your skin needs.
1: It starts with just taking that leap.
0: Man, you have to work hard, you have to be incredibly smart. Choose
1: something that even if it fails, even if it fails you are gonna be proud of. It doesn't matter how badly you got beat.
0: Be kind, be kind,
1: be kind. Become a better person, a better leader, a better business. Go with your (laughs) gut. I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders.
0: My name is Leah Yu. I'm a content creator slash founder and CEO of a skincare brand called Crave Beauty, a brand that aims to slow down the entire beauty industry that has become a lot like fast fashion
1: a really interesting comparison and I think like incredibly true but before you were in this whole world you were in Seoul could you um, tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up there and maybe some of those like early inspirations
0: yeah so I was born and raised in Seoul South Korea it's a very eclectic dynamic and a pretty cool city to grow up with But I would have to say though going to university and so and you know, having a corporate life was a little bit I would have to say a little bit (laughs) suppressing. I mean, I think in general, Korea itself is a very homogenous country just because we're made up with only just one kind of people. So there's definitely a lack of diversity and that kind of gets cascaded into Korean education system, which I experienced where there's only one right way of thinking and um, your difference and your individuality is not much accepted and celebrated which i had a lot of problem with growing up
1: yeah how can i explore and create if i only have one mode of thought like how can i truly make something new so how did you grapple with that
0: i mean my exit or my creative outlet was actually youtube I kind of stumbled across Michelle Phan's channel back in the days in 2008 and 2009. And it was super refreshing because it was a place where you get to see so much creativity. You get to see content creators' freedom and just passionate expression of what they truly love and they want to share with the online audience. And I think that was something that was really eye-opening to me while I was studying, you know, architectural design at school, where even though the field itself the discipline itself is supposed to be creative, I was really restricted in a way of thinking in just one like, formulaic way of how to approach designing. I think this is not only Korea's problem, but I'm sure it's a very universal problem across a lot of different countries.
1: And so as you're going towards the end of your degree, because you're still in, in South Korea, like end of 2013, what are you thinking your prospects for the future are? You're watching these YouTube videos, but... Uh, Like in 2013, you're probably not thinking that there's a possibility there.
0: So I completely pivoted out of my degree, which it was a little bit sad because architecture was something that I was super passionate about, but I didn't really see myself fitting into the mold in Korea as having a career there. So when I started my YouTube channel in my senior year of college, that's when I kind of explored the idea of going into the beauty industry.
1: publish, I feel that's like an interesting moment. I'm wondering if you could take me back to like the first video that you like put time into and really said like, okay, I'm going to publish this with intention to YouTube. Do you remember that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a very vivid memory. I'm a very introverted person. I do have a lot of friends in Korea, but I would have to say in the group setting, I'm not the most talkative person either, so I'm the listener, but in me, like, I have so much creativity, I have so much to say, but I don't think I found the audience in real life to actually talk about what I'm interested in, like, whether that's design, architecture, or just beauty products in general. So. I naturally kind of stumbled upon YouTube and it made me think about what if I talk to just anonymous people out there who I don't know. I thought that was a much more comfortable position to be in. It's
1: so bizarre. It makes sense, but it also doesn't because you're talking to thousands, millions of people that could cast judgment on you. Like, why did you feel comfortable just putting yourself out there in front of so many people?
0: I think in the setting of filming and creating content, you're actually just talking to a camera. So that doesn't make you really think about the consequences of what's gonna happen with the content, but you're truly in it being present in the moment of creating content and really sharing the joy of what you really love.
1: So what was that first video about? And do you remember any of the reception that it got?
0: got a new kitchen foundation review. It was a review about skincare products that I found in Korea and it's private at the moment so you can't it. find it online. <laughs> but it's just a video about me not really Learning how to look at the camera properly, or how to articulate on what the product does, but I had this, you know, urge to create something, and I reviewed the skincare products one by one, and the reason why I loved it, and showed the product swatches and the demo on my skin, Um, and the reception was really minimal because, you know, the first video from a YouTuber who doesn't have any other content is not going to get get any views, but it's by accumulation of content. That you get recognized and that you attract more viewers into the platform that would, you know, give you more response.
1: Yeah, but it's like, it's another thing to show up every week or every month and say, I'm going to create something new. So what kept you creating?
0: Yeah, I'm curious about what your answer would be. (laughs) Sam, to be honest, I'm sure you had some like inclination of almost like a self-expression at the same time. Um, I think it was very much the same with me where even though I knew that there were anonymous audience out there, it was purely for my own joy and my own hobby not to really provide information to the viewers. Like, I don't think there was a concept much about like, oh, what should I provide to my viewers? But it was more about um, what do I want to do right now?
1: something that's very much talked about on YouTube a lot just with creators in general is burnout, right? And I think burnout happens when you start creating videos for the audience rather than yourself. If it's always a tool for self-expression, then it's going to be cathartic for you. And something that actually to answer your question, like I initially actually started out on YouTube And I very quickly found myself making videos for an audience rather than for myself. Like that switch happened immediately. And so I'm like, how can I find a medium where the content creation for me is intrinsically valuable? And I found that in podcasting because I could just have this conversation with you and no one has to listen to it. And it's still valuable to me and it's still interesting. And that's, you know, that is what kept me going past like 150 episodes. And so as you started publishing and maybe like getting a little bit of response, like, do you remember that first video that said to you, like, maybe there's something here beyond just making it for myself? Maybe other people are liking this self-expression.
0: Yeah, so I found out that a lot of the K-pop makeup tutorials back then were doing really well in terms of a lot of people outside Korea are very curious about what the K-pop idols wear in terms of the makeup and skincare. So I found out that there was lack of supply in terms of content. So I think that's when I kind of explored the idea of, hmm, maybe I should extend my self-expression do something that's more valuable to the audience and that gets more views so eventually i kind of transitioned into like this is not a self-expression tool anymore solely but it's a platform that i would love to invite my audience to share what i love sharing and that's when my youtube channel got more traction
1: Yeah, because you were you were playing into a trend, basically, right? I I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the line between self-expression and performance. Just to give you an example from my personal life, finding founders, I think, is my purest form of self-expression in terms of content. Right. It's like almost exactly what I would want to listen to. And it's the exact information that I'm most interested in, right? Two months ago, I launched a new show where it's just like, okay, I want to just see if I'm only optimizing for performance. What does that look like? And within two months, now we're getting like 13 million views a month just because of that, and that is more than I've ever gotten on on Finding Founders, which is I think is like a great show and it's led to an amazing like opportunities and has like a very loyal base, but nowhere near the um the growth that this this new show had. Does there have to be a sacrifice of your self-expression to indulge performance? How do you think about self-expression as you're optimizing for performance? Is there something lost or does you just have to be more intentional about making sure that your original voice is still there?
0: Yeah. I mean, a question to you would be when you created that second podcast or the content that completely blew up and that performed really well, like how did you feel
1: felt cool that it was, like, growing so quickly. Like, that's awesome. Like, what? Something I made people are absolutely loving. And it's fun to record. It's not something I would show my grandparents and be like, (laughs) look at this, like, cool thing I made, right? Like, I don't think those represent me, whereas the stuff that I create for Finding Founders, like, I feel like definitely represents me. And so, like, to throw it back to you, like, how do you, like, walk that line?
0: It's... Every content creators, I mean headspace, that's like constantly playing the same question. How do you balance something, what you want to create versus what people want to watch from you? And the tighter that alignment is and the more overlap there is between the two, two sectors, you know you're gonna have a more personally fulfilling career on this platform so let's say if you feel like personally fulfilled you know creating that content that just blew up significantly just remarkably i think you know there's nothing better than that like you can continue doing something what you love creating but that also means that people love watching that kind of content so that's pretty much like product market fit right there. So I think there's always that kind of balance where I think 50% of the content on YouTube um, are something that people want to just create as a form of self-expression versus there's other half of the content, at least on my channel, where I strictly do it for providing information providing education, providing value to my viewers. Although these content might not be something that I'm currently going through or I'm currently authentically experiencing, but it's something that people want to watch. And those content are mostly acne videos or skincare ingredients videos. And these are the topics that needs to be much more nuanced, um, approaching in multiple different degree levels of biology, physiology, dermatology, chemistry. But I think on YouTube and a platform like TikTok, they prefer to straightforward black and white answers.
1: Can you tell me about launching Crave Beauty and what was surrounding that launch and and like the build up to that too? Like where were you in your life and and like tell me the story of where you were when you had the idea, when you knew you wanted to do it.
0: I think as a content creator, especially in the beauty category on YouTube, you naturally get so many inquiries like collaboration opportunities to launch a makeup collection or a skincare collection or whatever limited edition drop with so many different brands out there. But I always said no because I didn't want to capitalize and transform the credibility and the relationship that I built on my community to something that I would monetarily benefit from. So for the longest time, I was very anti-brand or anti-launching something. But I was someone who went through a severe acne phase in my mid-20s. And I was someone who was bought into like the 12 steps Korean skincare routine where I was applying more than what my skin needs, aggravated my skin a lot more than it did heal. I went through that experience of being on the other end of the beauty industry as a consumer as more of a advertising target I would have to say of desperation buying into all of these miraculous jars and fixes that promises amazing results but it's kind of like a vicious cycle of really damaging your skin more and more by applying more product that you, your skin doesn't need during my acne journey I discovered that nothing was working and I was trying everything that I was told to do by the dermatologist, by Sephora sales staff, by the influencers out there. But my skin was only getting worse and worse so at one point after doing that for like two years i got sick of what i was trying to do for my skin so i went the exact opposite way of what the beauty industry was telling me to do which was to literally drop everything so in a way i did like a skincare fasting where i'm not gonna apply literally anything but just a cleanser moisturizer and a sunscreen and let's see how you know my skin goes from there because i was drowning my skin with 14 15 skincare products a day and i did not see any improvements for that so slowly but surely like in a month's time I think I saw my skin healing I saw my skin literally coming back to what it's supposed to doing which is to regulate rejuvenate on its own because your skin is a living breathing organ that knows how to do its job that's when I actually pivoted my YouTube content into a more acne skincare tips, something that was never told, which was going against the benzoyl peroxide, going against all of these like conventional acne treatments and applying this and that to... You know what? Let's drip down to the very basics and do a skincare fasting or a skincare diet that I called, and see where your skin is to really identify how your skin does without all of these product helps. And we, well, we, as in me and my community online, have seen tremendous, tremendous results by just literally going against the norm of the beauty industry. And I think that's, that was very telling of how the entire beauty industry is built, built on capitalism. Literally trying to make you feel inadequate in order to sell more products by showing flawless pictures on the advertising and showing that there's only one way to achieve healthy skin, which is to apply more products than your skin needs. I think after interacting with so many people who were so sick and tired of this entire beauty advertising world and seeing them really heal their skin with such a simplified routine kind of told me that there's something here. I think people are very overwhelmed for no reason. Um, There needs to be a brand who tells the truth to everyone that your skin is smart, your skin knows how to do its job. Skincare products are not going to be life saviors or skin saviors, but they're to really just moisturize and, re- re- you know, optimize your skin barrier, but nothing more than that. So I wanted to uncomplicate the beauty industry and really tell people that it is okay to skip that toner, it is okay to skip that serum, but just truly listen to your skin's craving and add what your skin truly needs rather than adding something that you're you know, Sephora sales staff is telling you to add. So I think that that's the whole genesis of Cray Beauty and the entire ethos is really stripping down to the basics, simplifying things, uncomplicating things so that you listen to your skin's craving.
1: So how did you actually start to make these products?
0: Yeah, so I was still in South Korea at the time and I literally cold emailed a lot of contract manufacturers and labs to work with me and there were a lot of no's or, you know, my emails were never responded a lot of the times. But there were a couple of labs that were able to, you know, listen to what I was trying to build. I think from there, like, I had this entire um, idea of creating a cleanser that is not stripping your skin barrier.
1: How did you start marketing that product and what was the response from your community?
0: The marketing of the product is solely done on my YouTube channel at the time. Like I didn't really have a robust digital marketing strategy or a 360 degree brand marketing campaign for sure. But it was truly done over Instagram and my own YouTube channel. And we just built a website. So we had some email newsletter sign up. And at the launch, I remember that a lot of the responses were they, a lot of people were saying how refreshing the brand's messaging was because we were literally saying that you don't need to apply a million different products because your skin is enough. Your skin knows how to do its job. The business itself is completely bootstrapped um, from the first months we were already profitable. So I think the entire business um, was doing really well (laughs) compared to other early stage startups out there so i think i'm definitely blessed with the community that i had but i also do want to emphasize that like before launching the brand like people don't often see the eight years behind the brand launch where i was continuously doing almost like a market research right because when you're talking to real people on the subject of beauty or skincare you're talking to real customers or real people who's using products. So I think that's the part where it gets completely unseen by a lot of people saying that Crave Beauty is an overnight success. But I think before the launch, there was, you know, eight years of me trying to build this content creation content platform and build the credibility and relationship.
1: So where is Crave today and where are you today and what are you most excited about for the future?
0: Great Beauty is at a really good place. I want to say I'm really proud of myself and also the team that I have built and we have built together. We do get a lot of love calls from retailers and a lot of private equity firms. But we always say happily say no to all of those requests. But we're trying to build something bigger than who we are and who I am on YouTube and potentially become like the next generation of conglomerate, meaning that I think there are a lot of incumbents in the beauty industry where there's a heritage of LVMH, L'Oreal, and Lauder companies trying to acquire the next new thing. However, I do think there are a lot of like-minded founders out there in the current generation, in indie skincare brands, indie beauty brands who are thinking far beyond what a successful exit looks like or what a successful exit means to each business. I think we're at a time where we're trying to do something that's more meaningful and impactful beyond just a pure acquisition. So we are excitingly launching our own venture studio. So with the cash that we have earned so far, we're launching a new fund to really help other brands out there within the beauty industry to move to a more sustainable and equitable direction. But more importantly, I'm interested in funding and commercializing innovation in the B2B space because I think when we're talking about sustainability and um, all these new technologies, they, a lot of them are stuck in the lab. So they don't ever see the light of customers at all without the proper funding and the proper Investors, So we want to be there to, you know, really help innovation see light and really advance the entire beauty industry. So that's what I'm excited for.
1: I love how big you're thinking, like, who wouldn't be excited with a vision like that? Yeah. Uh, that's super exciting. Uh, and so where can people find more about you and about Crave?
0: Yeah, you can find me on all platforms, including YouTube, Instagram at Leah Yu. And Crave Beauty is exclusively sold on CraveBeauty.com. We ship to a lot of different countries, including the US and South Korea. So definitely check it out. And on socials, it's all Crave Beauty with a K.
1: Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner.
0: Our chief of staff and operations is Jessica Lin. Our
1: audio editing team lead is Adrian Tapia. Support from...
0: Irene Van Burkle.
1: Matt Fernandez.
0: Nay B. Cannon. Sophia Donner. Laura Lynch. Zoe Maddox. Ashley Jimenez.
1: Michael Chung. Nicholas Guzman. Aaron Devereaux.
0: Sanessa Gisley. And Lois Choi. Our outreach and research lead is Kenny All, with support from Sarah Hobson, Melody Sopani, Cherise Tan, Jake Wiley, Ibada Drive,
1: and Mecca Shelton.
0: Our writing team lead is Elizabeth Bowen with support from mm-hmm. Abigail Azerda, Elise Caldwell, Jake Wiley, Jordan Ortiz, and Sanessa Gisley. Our design team lead is Shruti Ramanand with support from
1: Sohel Amatya. Tiffany Dang, Jonathan Wass,
0: and Diana Marie Kendoza.
1: To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.com. Thanks again for listening, and see you next week.